What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So good morning. How are we doing this morning? Wonderful. Great. Excellent. All right. Good. Uh, if you are ju- just, you know, visiting or you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been diving in the book of Revelation. So don't go running out, right? Um, when I start praying, sneak out the back, like, oh, I don't know if I want to dive into Revelation, right? It's a tough book. And I say that as someone who is trying to teach it to you guys, because even before me knowing that we're going to go into the book of Revelation, it was me having to prepare myself to be able to dive in, to be able to present to you guys, you know, what I feel the message that God is saying. And so last week, Pastor Chris uh, preached about the church at Ephesus. And so we're only into chapter two. Um, Kevin said three. Um, he got a little ahead of us. We're only on chapter two. Sorry. Um, maybe we'll let him preach chapter three. He seemed pretty excited about it. Um, we're only in chapter two. So we read through chapter one, introducing uh, John and Jesus in this revelation. And Pastor Chris has done a great job of helping us maybe come into it with a different perspective to be excited about this revelation. Okay. And I know that word maybe sometimes brings different thoughts, but how many of us have prayed, God, just show me what you want me to do. Show me what you want for my life. God, God, give me a sign, right? This is a revelation for all of us about what God has done and what he's going to do. And so chapter one said, we will be blessed, those who hear the word, heed the word, and do what the word says, right? So no matter what, even if I'm terrible today, just reading Revelation, you're going to be blessed. So amen, right? Um, so we're going to dive in and we're into the seven churches. So there will be seven different churches that are going to be covered. Like I said, last week, Pastor Chris, uh, covered the church at Ephesus, had a long list of things that the church was doing well at. They were, they were knocking out of the park in a lot of different areas, but the one thing he had against them was that they had, they had lost their first love, right? Sometimes we can do a lot of good things for God, but we can kind of leave God on the back, right? We can have a church or a ministry that's doing a lot of good things, but, but Jesus isn't really at the center of it. And that's kind of where that church of Ephesus, uh, we left off. So today we're going to talk about the church in Smyrna, and we're going to be in Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. And if I talk really, really quick, because there's a lot of stuff to cover in a short amount of time, all right, and I want to try to be respectful of that time. I know uh, I joke on Chris a lot about time, but I'm just as bad at it, um, so Uh, Let's pray and let's dive in. Uh, Father, we ask that right now you would prepare our hearts uh, to be open to your word. God, I pray you would use uh, me to just relay your message, God. I pray that whatever we bring into the room today, God, that we would be able to lay it at your feet and really focus in on what you have for us, God. The enemy is good at bringing distractions in our lives. It can be things that we've dealt with this week. It can be the person next to us. It can be our phones. It can be a lot of different things, God. We just pray against that. Because you have a word for us today uh, that we can hear and, and then be able to go and apply it to our lives, Father. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's jump in. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. To the church of Smyrna, and it says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty. But you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be fearful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So doesn't that just sound like a great message of blessing and encouragement today? Prison, death, right? Ten days, um, be faithful unto death, right? And so we're just going to try to walk through it, okay? Because I do believe that there's an encouragement in this as the body of Christ, as we walk through it and understand not only what God is saying about this church That was a real church in Smyrna, right? But also to us today as the church, right? 
of what we can do and how we're supposed to live now that God has given us this warning. So uh, in verse 8, it talks about uh, the angel. In every single letter, it's going to say an angel to the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, whatever, Laodicea, all the churches, it's same thing, same language, all right? <clears throat> and we, we first find that, that talk of angel in chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, and it's um, John and Jesus, and Jesus is explaining some of the symbolism, and he says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So understanding when he talks about lampstands, it's the churches. When he talks about the seven stars, it's the seven angels for each church. Now that word angel means messenger. But there um, are two different views of what that really looks like. Are, are the angels referring to the messenger as the pastor or the elder of that church who's going to relay this message on from John to their church? Or is angel in this context referring to an actual angel that God has put over that church? And so there's differing views on that, right? We see in the Old Testament where God uses prophets, right, to bring the word of God to the people. Um, I named my son Malachi because it was messenger of God. All right, so we see that God uses that as a messenger. But we also see in Scripture where God uses angels, right, to bring a message as well. And so there's just kind of two different sides of that. Um, we want to be able to present you with both sides and not to, I'm not up here to necessarily tell you what you're supposed to believe, but I'm here to present two different views of that. Um, I would be a, be a liar if I'm like, oh, I'm so scholarly. I know all of it. Right? I, know, I understand all the symbolism and this is exactly what it is. No, my job is just to present it to you and for you guys to be able, if you want to, to continue to dig deeper to try to find that and see where that lands with you. Um, I see both sides of, of that, um, kind of that, that viewpoint. So um, on Sunday mornings, we try our best to, to dive into the most that we can about this passage, but we also know there's a lot of stuff that we're not going to be able to get into on a Sunday morning. And so the hope is that we can just present some of it so that you guys will continue to dig uh, on your own uh, for that. And so the angel to the church of Smyrna, and he says, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Now, before we go into the passage, just a little bit about, the, about Smyrna. Smyrna is about 35 miles north of, of Ephesus, which is the church we talked about last week. All right. Um, now, it's in a city that's modern day Turkey called Izmir. All right. And um, this city was considered the port of Asia. It was a lot of trade that went on here. It was referred to also as one of the most beautiful cities of Asia, just their architecture and the structures they had within this city. Um, but it was a hopping place, a lot of people coming in and out of it. And it was popular for a couple of different reasons. One, because it had a port, uh, a lot of trade going on there, but, but also because it had a large temple dedicated to the emperor, Tiberius. They were a city that worshipped the emperor. All right. Not just supported and liked and voted, whatever. They they worshipped their emperor as if he were God. They also had large temples to a lot of other gods, Poseidon, Athena. Um, so it just made it a, an attraction place for a lot of people to come and worship. So they're worshiping their emperor. They're worshiping these other gods. This is what's going on uh, in this this city. Now, the actual word Smyrna, it means myrrh. All right. And myrrh is a fragrance and an oil that was used a lot of times as what they would say an embalming fluid. Obviously, they don't embalm bodies like they do nowadays, but it was to help cover up um, the smell of, of that dead body. Um, and so that's what Smyrna actually means. Now, most of us have heard of myrrh from the wise men bringing gifts to Jesus, right? Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Um, and so that's what the city actually means. So it's a, it's a fragrance. And uh, we'll get into a little bit more of that as we move forward. So also, not only are you going to see angel to the specific church, but you're also going to see Jesus reference him, a description of himself that goes back to what we read in chapter one. So when he says that he is the, uh, the first and the last, that's coming from Revelation chapter one, verse 17. And it says this, it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet. This is John as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, which is Jesus saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. 
first and the last, right? Alpha and the Omega. I was here at the beginning and I will be here for eternity. Um, Throughout Scripture, we hear God describe himself as this. One example of that is in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 7, or verse 6. It says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no other God. How amazing is it that we serve a God that has always been and will always be, right? In a culture and a society that struggles to explain the origin of everything, we understand that God was the beginning, and it all starts with God. And when this life is over, it's still God. Um, And so that's who he describes himself as. And then it says, um, not only that, he says, who died and came to life. And that's going back to uh, Revelation 1.18. And he says, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Talking about how he came to earth and he died Right. But we know that he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the tomb, that he was resurrected. Right. And he came back to earth. But then he ascended on high and he's at the you know, he's with the father right now looking down on us. He's he's not dead. He is alive and he has the the keys of death and Hades. He conquered sin and death for us. And so then in verse nine, he this is the shift to talking to the church and talking to us as well. It says in verse nine, I know your tribulation. And these are powerful words. And it helps us understand that Jesus knows everything that's going on, right? Nothing takes him by surprise. He sees everything. So he knows exactly what this church in Smyrna is going through. What's their tribulation? Well, for one, they're living in poverty. They are the poorest of the poor in this beautiful, rich, extravagant city. Why are they poor? Because they are surrounded by a culture that worships the emperor, that worships other gods, and by other Jews who refuse Jesus as the Messiah. So they are the outcasts of society. They struggle to keep jobs because they don't worship the emperor. They're unwilling to kneel to any other god. And so people don't want them to work for them. And they want to persecute them because of the beliefs that they have. So they, they can't get jobs. They can't, you know, do regular things within culture and society because they are pushed out as outcasts because of their beliefs in Jesus. So they're persecuted for not worshiping emperor, persecuted for not worshiping other gods. They were hated. They were beaten. They were jailed. And they were even killed for their faith. These, they lived in a city with other Jews, Right? And you would think that because they're Jewish and they're living among other Jewish people that they would be able to get along and look out for each other. But in fact, what they say is that these Jews who reject Jesus as the Messiah would actually join these Christian churches and pretend like they worshipped Jesus just to find out who was in the church so that then they could go have them reported so that they would be beaten and jailed and put to death. This is the tribulation that the people, the Christians in Smyrna were dealing with. And Jesus is saying, I know, I know what you're going through. I see what you're going through. Please don't feel like I'm not here. Has anybody gone through something in life and felt like, you know what? I just, sometimes I feel like Jesus isn't here with me. He's not seeing what I'm going through. I want to encourage you today. He sees exactly what you're going through and he has a plan and a purpose behind it. So all the things that they don't have, what does he say that they do have? They have faith in Christ. And because of that, what does it say? It says they are rich. We live in a society and a culture where rich means everything but having Jesus, right? Rich is all based on your bank account, car you drive, house, materialistic things, right? What you do for a living. But what, what Jesus is trying to tell them is that I understand what you're going through, but you've got to see it in my perspective. You've got me. And that negates all else that you're going through because you have me. And we as believers have to look at life in that way, that no matter what comes, what circumstance or situation comes at you, that we have the perspective that, you know what? 
The world is going to throw a lot of things at me, but it doesn't matter because I got Jesus. It's so awesome that he says, I know your tribulation, because Jesus not only can see what's going on in this church, but remember Jesus stepped out of heaven, became fully God, fully man, walked among the earth and experienced what? He experienced the exact same things, poverty, rejection, even by his own people, abuse, beaten, and then ultimately what? Put to death. So when he says, I know your tribulation, he really says, I know it. He understands it because why? Because he stepped into it. That's the awesome thing about the God that we serve is that Jesus Christ came to earth and stepped into our suffering. He stepped into our circumstances. He knows firsthand what we went through. He's not just sitting on a throne saying, oh, man, I really feel sorry for you for going through this. That must be really, really tough. No, he's saying, I understand it because I entered into it with you. I feel you. I understand. I feel your pain in that. Doesn't it always feel good to have somebody in your life that can kind of understand the things that you're going through, that you can reach out to and you can talk through that situation that helps you understand and they understand it, right? Tribulation, not a word we like to hear. If you walk out today and all you get is tribulation, you might not be encouraged on your ride home about your, your, your life in Christ, right? But understand, tribulation is necessary in our lives, right? It's, it's necessary. It creates pressure in our lives, and it, it pulls out and draws out what's really inside of us. So I was reading a devotional, and uh, it was telling me the story about a butterfly. And so this guy um, saw a, a chrysalis outside, and he, he decided to break the branch off and bring it inside because he wanted to watch this butterfly um, you know, come out and, and basically, you know, transform. And so he did that, and he waited and waited and waited, and finally the day came where he started to see something starting to break through this, this chrysalis, this cocoon, and he's watching this butterfly just struggle to get out of this small hole. And he watches for a while, and he starts to think, oh, no, what if, what if because I brought it inside, the, the conditions aren't right, and so, you know, maybe the... the the cocoon got too dry and it can't stretch like it's supposed to. Now, maybe I should try to help this butterfly out uh, because, because it can't get out on its own. And so after a while of trying to go back and forth, he decides to take a little pair of scissors and cut the opening just a little bit to see if the butterfly would come out. And immediately the butterfly comes straight out of the hole. And he thinks that he has done something important, but what happened is because he cut the hole, in the process of coming out of that small, tiny hole, it forces the blood into the, all the extremities of that butterfly so that when it comes out, it can now fly perfectly. What happened was because he cut that hole, the blood didn't circulate to all of his extremities, and it came out and couldn't fly, and it died. So understand that although we don't like the word tribulation, we don't like suffering. We don't like to think about trials. Understand that those trials are a way of forcing us into and helping us become exactly what God wants us to be. In this in verse 9, he calls these Jews a synagogue of Satan. They rejected the Messiah. Um, and one commentator actually said that he compared them to this. He said, um, they were as much a tool of, of Satan as those that were worshiping other gods, right? Because they rejected the truth. And I don't want to be one to sit here and call out other churches, but I think that we can see in our day that some of the churches that maybe we've been a part of or we see, some of them kind of uh, operate this, this same kind of way. It's like they do all the things that a church is supposed to do, but they leave Jesus out of it. And that's what um, Jesus alluded to uh, talking to the church um, in Ephesus about how they were doing all these great things in the church, but they had lost their first love. And so we've got to be really careful, right, to make sure our worship is our worship of Jesus, not a worship of tradition or a worship of culture or a worship of routine, right? I go to church on Sunday because that's just what we do. No, I go to church on Sunday because I love God and I want to worship with his people, and I want to come together as a community, right, and, and figure out how we can better reach the
the community around us. In verse 10, he starts off by saying, do not fear what you're about to suffer, right? Do not fear. Usually when when somebody brings that message of do not fear, it's because there was fear, right? Uh, We see in in chapter 1 how when John turns around and Jesus is there, what does he do immediately? He falls to his falls to the ground as if he died, and what does Jesus come? He puts his hand on him and says, fear not. How many times do we see angels come throughout Scripture, and the first thing they have to say is, what, do not fear? Why? Because if you saw an angel, you might get scared, right? It's not something that we normally see. Do not fear appears in the Bible 365 times. I'm not necessarily one who, who goes to coincidence. I don't, I don't believe in coincidence and, and fate. I believe in God's plan, and I believe there's a reason why. I know people could say, well, what about leap year? Well, I don't know about that, okay? I have to dig a little deeper. But what I do know is this. Every single day we need to hear that message, do not fear. Because every single day when we wake up, we go out into a world that is against us, that wants to pull us away from Jesus, that wants to tear us down. There's always something in our daily life that we could fear, but God is saying, don't fear what's coming. I know what you're going through. I am your God. I'm the first and the last, the alpha, the omega. I will always be here for you to walk you, walk with you through this. In Isaiah 41.10, it says this. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the promise that we live in as followers of Christ, that he always has his hand on his life. And what did he do to John when John fell down? He put his right hand on him and he said, do not fear. Do not fear. He says, you are about to suffer. What I love about God is that he's straight up real with us. These people were already suffering. Have you ever been a point in your life where you've been going through something and then something adds on to it and then something adds on to it and you kind of look up like, I don't know how much more I can take, right? We're living in poverty. We are being just assaulted by every single group in our city, right? We have just been pushed to the lowest of the low. We feel like we have nothing, but we have you. And now you're telling us now we're about to suffer. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I hope you understand that God doesn't always rescue us out of suffering. Like the guy cutting the hole for the butterfly, God understands that sometimes that suffering and that pain, that pressure is necessary for us. He doesn't always rescue us. Sometimes he does. Sometimes grace and mercy and he, he pulls us out of a situation, but sometimes he doesn't. What I want, feel like with this passage, and hopefully we can understand today, is that because we have Jesus that God doesn't want us to look at these tribulations and these trials and, and kind of cower away, but actually he wants us to lean into it. He wants us to push into it and say, you know what, God, I see this is coming my way. I know this is from you, and I'm going to lean into it because you have something you want to teach me. And not only do you have something that you want to teach me and show me, but I believe God puts us through these situations so that we can then minister to others. Second Corinthians Chapter 1 has a special place in my life. So I went to Liberty University for college, and while I was there, our president, our founder, uh, Dr. Falwell, senior, not junior. Don't talk about junior if you know anything about junior. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about senior. I'm talking about the guy who founded the school. Um, great guy. I got to meet him a couple times, and just a clown, like just funny guy, um, just a great personality, but an incredible man of God. And there's a lot of things that people can say on either side of him. But all I, what I saw from him was just a man of God who had great vision and obedience to what God called him to. And so he had a really busy schedule. But every Wednesday, he made sure he was back at Liberty to speak to us at chapel. Now, a lot of times it was the same message over and over. And some people didn't really like it. But for me, it was this visionary message of how he how God called him to found Liberty University and how he literally walked every inch of that property with his feet because he believed every place his foot landed was where God wanted him to be. And just how the school birthed and how it grew, it was just amazing. And so there was one other time that he, he preached a message and it, it just impacted my life. And I, I, back in the day, okay, I know CDs are kind of on the, on the way out and records are coming back, whatever. Um, 
I had this CD of this message, and I listened to it over and over and over again. It was, it was 2 Corinthians 1, and this, if you look in your Bible, a lot of times there's like a little heading. It's God of all comfort, and I want to read this passage to you and, and explain to you why it meant so much to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope is for you our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share <clears throat> sorry, as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were utterly so burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And I know that passage can be a little bit confusing. You might have to go back and reread it. It's like the comfort for those who come. But basically what it's saying is this, is that a lot of times the things that we go through are not only so that we can experience a comfort from God that we wouldn't be able to experience if we hadn't gone through that trial, but it's also so that we experience that comfort so that we can be there and step into somebody else's affliction and be able to comfort them the same way that God comforted us. That's the plan, right? This life is not about us. It's not about you and just what God wants to do in you. God is always working in you and through you to then impact other people. This was real to me because even as a 39-year-old, I still struggled with the fact that my father died when I was in middle school. And I still wrestle with God sometimes. Most of the times I'm good, but there's still some days that, that I wrestle with that. Like, why did it have to happen that way, God? When I need advice, when I need things of life, when I want to ask questions, I don't have my dad there to be able to call and say, hey, what about this? But God continues to show me and reveal to me why that's happened in my life. And so when I was in college, I was on a ministry team, and we would travel every weekend to different churches, hang out with youth groups, share the gospel with them, everything. And so there was this one weekend we were, we were at a church, we were actually at a school, we were performing at a, at a um, public school. And uh, I was supposed to speak that day after our performance, but my, the leader of our team came up and said, hey, I'm switching things up, I wanna, I'm going to speak today, and you can speak at the show tomorrow. I'm like, okay, that's cool. So we did our, the show that we do, all right, and then we got all the kids together to sit down. We're, we're about to present the word to him. And so he gets up there, and he starts to talk, and he starts to tell a funny story um, about him and this girl that he really, really liked at college, but that she didn't like him at all. Um, and so he gets a couple minutes into this story, and he's got the microphone, and he kind of turns to the side, and he's like, oh, and we're, he's like a goofball, so we're, we're kind of all just you know, not really phased by it because, you know, we just never know what he's going to actually do when he speaks. And he tries to speak again. And he's like, oh, and he starts making that noise that that's a noise that everybody knows when you're about to throw up. Like when you're like, Ooh. right. And so we all see like, oh, my gosh, he's about to throw up. And so he he tries to speak a third time. He throws the microphone down and runs to the bathroom. All the kids are like looking around like, is this part of the show or what, right? So I'm like, Okay, so I walk up and I pick up the microphone and I'm like, uh, more of the story is uh, he never got that girl. She was way out of his league. And I'm like, move on. <laughs> so what God had, had wanted me to share was to share my testimony about my dad. And so I started sharing my testimony about, you know, my dad passing away and kind of how God brought me through that and different things in life. And so led that to the gospel and we pray and then we, we end our show and you know, after the show, we're talking to kids or whatever, and one of the administrator comes up to me, and he's like, hey, um, I really need to talk to you. And so he pulls me aside. He's like, that message was, was perfect because we, we have a young girl in our school that just last week lost her father, and she, 
just doesn't even know what to do right now. Would you be willing to, to talk to her? And I was like, yeah. And so he took me to the office, and she's in there, and she's just crying, right, just broken. And I got to tell her about how God walked me through it and how tough it was, and she felt like I could enter into that pain with her. And we got to talk and pray, and I just got to minister to her. And it was so powerful. And in that moment, it's like, okay, God, it's starting to make sense. I still don't like it, but I understand it. And I can't tell you through doing youth ministry how many opportunities I've had to speak to kids who have lost a parent and they finally feel like somebody can enter into that pain a little bit with them. Every situation is different. I don't claim to be like, oh, I know exactly what you're going through because that's not fair. I don't know exactly, but I know what I went through and I know that we're experiencing similar things. So understand when you go through things of life, it's not just for you. But sometimes we selfishly just look at it as us. God, why are you doing this to me? Well, here we go again, God. Why do you just keep piling it on? Am I not doing enough? Like we, we go through this gamut of, of just things in our mind about, but, but if, if we had the perspective of, God, this is not fun and it's not easy, but show me how I can use this in the future to reach other people. So as he goes in and do not fear, we're about to suffer, says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. And so hopefully understand the devil, right, his power is limited to what God gives him, right? If you look at the first chapter of Job, you see that Satan is roaming the earth, kind of looking who he wants to pick off. And God's like, hey, what about my servant Job? And so they have this conversation and basically God tells him, hey, whatever Job has, you can, you know, you can, you can take away, but you just can't take his life, right? We understand that the enemy only has as much power as God allows him to have, right? And so the enemy is about, God is, is, is saying, hey, the, the devil is about to do this. Not it could happen, it might happen. This is what's about to happen to you guys. You're about to suffer. You're about to be put in prison, it says, that, that you may be tested for 10 days. You will have these tribulations, and so the 10 days is a um, couple different thoughts about that. Um, some people, you know, think that the 10 days could be, you know, some of the people in this, this specific church were put in jail for 10 days. Um, some believe it was over a 10-day period. Some people related back to Daniel chapter 1. If you remember Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, you know, they are taken captive and they're forced into the king's army. And Daniel and his friends say, you know what? We're not going to eat all that stuff. We're not going to eat all the king's food. We're going to live off vegetables and water. And they're tested for a 10-day period. And after the 10 days, what, come, what happens? They come out stronger, smarter, quicker, faster, everything. They, they far exceed all the other men in the king's army that have just been kind of feasting off all of these things. And there's still some that think that um, it refers to a 10 intense periods of persecution by 10 different Roman emperors. And so there's a couple different thoughts in that. Where we go with that, I don't really feel like um, takes away from it. So you could have a different view of that. I think the message is still the same, that, that it's coming. Prepare for it um, and understand that you will be tested, that tribulation is going to come. And the thing about it is, is after the 10 days, it doesn't say after 10 days, I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to lavish you with gifts and money and we're going to elevate you to the highest status in the city. It doesn't say that. It says, be faithful unto death. It says you're about to suffer. You're about to go through tribulation. Some of you are going to be put in prison for 10 days. Be faithful unto death. That's the message that Jesus is bringing to a people that have already experienced so much suffering. But purification comes through persecution, right? Through the, the persecution process, it's purifying us, right? And it's helping us understand that God is putting us through things to draw things out. I struggle with anger, but I have to understand that God has to put me in situations that I'm going to get angry so that I realize whether I've worked on that problem or not. He can't just give me easy life and I'm going to 
be able to work through my anger issues. He's got to put me in situations that draw it out, right? Like metal being purified. What do you do? You heat it, right? And the impurities draw to the top and you're able to wipe them off and continue to heat it and wipe it off. And how does that metalsmith know that the metal is pure? He can look at it and see his reflection. How does Jesus know when we become perfected? He can look at us and see his reflection. But it's persecution and tribulation and trials that draws out the impurities to help us become better. So really today what we should be praying is, God, bring me all the tribulation, persecution, trials, and suffering I can take because I want to get better, right? I want to be the best that I can be. Draw it all out of me, right? But that's not always what we pray, right? It's like, hey, God, give me a little chunks, right? I can't take too much. So I, I said we'd come back to myrrh. So, so myrrh, to release the fragrance of myrrh, you have to crush it. Now, remember, this city is, you can interchange Smyrna and myrrh, all right? These people in Smyrna are being crushed for their faith, and it's bringing out a fragrance in their life. Now, understand if you're being crushed, right, and pressured by the things of God, a fragrance is going to come out. Is that fragrance going to be beautiful and pleasing to the Lord, or is it going to stink? They're being crushed, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, I feel like puts it in a good perspective for us. It says this, starting in verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. As believers, we have given up our lives. It's, it's over. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I died, right? I was, I was saved from my sin and, my, and the death that I deserved. I was saved. I was baptized. I was laid to rest, and I was brought back to walk in newness of life, in this new life that Jesus has given me. My old self is gone. My fleshly desires are gone, and now I live dead to myself, but alive in Christ. And then he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That faithful to death, to death part is a tough one to swallow. If I'm sitting on a beach, you know, beautiful weather, beautiful scenery and faithful unto death, that seems pretty, pretty good. I could handle that. But being poor and abused and beaten and never know who's going to turn on me and who's going to turn me into authorities, being locked up, right, all because I love Jesus, and then I'm told to be faithful unto death. I won't, that message is a little bit harder to swallow. So Jim Elliott, a missionary uh, to the people of Ecuador, so he went to the, this, um, to the indigenous people there who had never heard about Jesus to preach the gospel to them. Because that's what God had called him to do. And on the day that he died, he wrote this in his journal. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me read that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was killed by the very people that he tried to lead to Christ. Some of y'all be like, well, why would God call him there just to die? Doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Well, his wife Elizabeth and their daughter decided to move back to that same region and live and minister among the same people group. And when they went back, 
right? She specifically went back to some of the same people that were the ones that killed her husband. And they started to see life change. Now, it's, it's, it's easy to read that quote. It's a lot harder for me to say that if somebody killed my wife, that I would go to the same people and have any kind of mercy or grace or love for them. Later, uh, Elizabeth uh, said this. She said, the deepest things that I have learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things I know about God. There are some things that you cannot know about God unless you're willing to go into that suffering. And it doesn't sound great and it doesn't sound like, you know, all sunshines and rainbows that maybe you've been promised as a, as a believer, but it's the truth. There was another missionary. His name was uh, Teddy Hodgson, and he was an English missionary to the Congo. And a few days before he died, he said this. He said, I will not deny death at the hands of the rebels, for I have preached Christ and life after death for 45 years to the people of Africa. Jesus Christ has not denied me, and I will not deny him. He was killed by the very same people that he preached to. And not to get graphic, but he knelt in a dry riverbed, and they came with knives, and they basically just hacked him up. And the guys that did that are the ones that have the you know, later on bring this story that as they were doing this, he was praying for the salvation of every single guy that was doing that to him in that exact moment. Which later, because of his faith and of, of that, that witness, those, some of those same guys that did that to him ended up coming to Christ. So understand when God calls you to something like that, it's powerful. And sometimes in our human minds, we can't comprehend why God would want us to die or lay down our lives. Although we say we've laid down our lives for God, but are we really willing to walk into that? Are we really willing to lay down our lives no matter what it takes? Am I willing to be sacrificed today so that other people can come to Jesus? It's something that we're not really faced with in America. We don't understand that tribulation here. We live very comfortably. And I say we, I, I include myself in that. We live very comfortably. We haven't really had to fight much for our faith as far as today. Nobody had to walk through persecution or people with guns and, and anything like that to get into this building. We all drove or walked, rode a bike here. We walked in freely. We, we partake of coffee and bagels and we've enjoy air conditioning and all of that we have it pretty easy here but i believe what god is trying to tell us through this is not only is he trying to help us understand what happened in smyrna but he's also trying to prepare us as a church today hey it's coming tribulation is coming church and we have to be ready we have to be prepared we have to know what to do in these situations and understand that it's not because God doesn't love us, but it's exactly the opposite. It's because God loves us. It's because he loves us and because he loves the people around us that he wants to use our lives in any way possible to bring others to the kingdom. If that's not what you signed up for, I'm sorry you heard a false gospel, but that is the gospel. And who is our example? It's Jesus. says, I will give you the crown of life. In other passages, it might say, you will, you will receive the crown of life, you will receive. But I believe it's specific in this because God honors this church because of their faith in the midst of a lot of persecution. And you know what? Jesus is saying, I, I will give you that crown of life. You better believe when you go through all these things and you stand firm in your faith and you stay faithful to the end, I'm going to be there to meet you and I'm going to give you this crown of life. And I'm going to put my arms around you and I'm going to say, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think we lack a longing to be in heaven. 
right? We lack a longing to really go there. Do we wake up every morning and say, I hope this is my day. I hope this is the day that I get to see my Jesus, that I get to feel his arms wrapped around me, and I get to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Do we truly long for that, or is it just a better option than hell? Do we long to be with our Father in heaven? Because these trials and tribulations here on earth mean nothing to an eternity with the King. And if I have to give up my life here so that I can spend it up there, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so as we close this out, what does it mean for us as a church today? We hear what God is saying to this church. What is he saying to us? That persecution is coming. And what does it look like? It can look a lot of different ways. Some of us have been through some stuff. We've lost people in our lives. We've struggled with our faith. Right? I believe that there's going to be a time where there's only certain things that law and government will allow me to say from this stage. And if I step over that line, that I could be put in jail or even put to death. Those times are coming, and I don't say that as a scare tactic. It's because God is beautiful and lovely, and he likes to tell his children what to expect. This is what's coming. I love you. I wish that I could tell my kids every morning, hey, this is what you're going to go through today. Watch out for this. Be careful of this. Veer away from that. I can't. But that's what he does for us. Some of that might be sickness, might be death. You know what? Some of that might be mental health, the persecution that we go through. It talks about prison, right? And we think of a physical prison with, with bars, but it might be mental health. Why? Because when you're not in the right mindset, you're in prison. And what happens when you start getting into your thoughts and you allow these, these thoughts to get into your head and start to speak to you? We start to see people that we know do things that's uncharacteristic of them. Persecution is coming and the enemy is going to use whatever means necessary to take us out. And when we go through that persecution and we are crushed, right, but not broken, what kind of fragrance comes out of our lives? I want to give you guys just a couple of scriptures that you guys can look up just, just time's sake. I apologize for that. Um, but I want to finish with one last one. So Philippians 1, 27 through 29, you can just write that down and, and maybe look that up later today. Philippians 1, 27 through 29. Acts 14, 21 through 22. And I want to end it off with this one. This is the Apostle Paul towards the end of his life, passing the reins over to his beloved son, right, his disciple Timothy. And I believe this is exactly where we need to be as a church. What are we supposed to do now that we understand that tribulation and times are coming? This is exactly what we need to do. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 8, and it says this. It says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you... Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Preach the word. Be ready for false doctrine to come in. Be ready for things to draw people away. That's why it's so important for us that we be a community, 
a body of believers. That's why it's important for us to be here on a Sunday morning and to connect with each other, right? Because the enemy wants to pull you out and isolate you, right? Because when he pulls you away and isolates you, then he can pick you off easier. But if we're in community, right? Like the church in Smyrna was in community, that no matter what comes our way, if somebody we know loses a loved one, we can be there, right, to be a hand and pull them aside. We can hold each other accountable. When we see somebody wandering off the path, we can reach out to them and bring them back to the community, to the body. That's why community is so important. We cannot do this on our own. We've got to come together. Why? So that at the end, when this life is over, we can say the words that Paul made so popular and famous because we have fought the good fight, we have finished the race, we have kept the faith. Fought the good fight, we have finished the race, and we've kept the faith. In times of good and times of bad, in times of praise and times of tribulation, in times of sorrow, in times of all of these things, we have fought the good fight to the very end because that's what God called us to do. Because he understands our tribulation, he is always there with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us, but he's not going to always rescue us. But he is always there. So may we lean in when tribulation comes, knowing that we've got the Father on our side, that he is building into us, he is molding us, he is shaping us, he is purifying us, and he is using us to minister to other people and to help bring them into the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your words of tribulation, God. It's not an easy thing to swallow and digest, but, but the amazing thing about it is, God, you love us so much that you give us fair warning, and you also promise to be with us through every step of the way, God. God, may we not look at tribulation and suffering as a curse or as if you've left us, God, but the opposite, that you love us and you're building into us, God. And God, may we ask the question when tribulation comes, God, how can I use this to reach other people for you? How can I use what you're doing in my life to minister and to impact other people, God? God, the church of Ephesus had its lampstand removed and it is no longer. But the people in Smyrna stood their ground. And that city is still there today, God. May we continue to follow the examples that we see through each and every one of these churches. May we evaluate our own lives, God, and allow it to change us, Father, for you. And when it's all said and done, God, may we be able to say that we fought the good fight, we finished the race, we kept the faith. And through that, God, may we long to spend an eternity with you in heaven, God. Even if that means laying our life down here on earth. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com. Thank you.